0: Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey and this is High Performance, our gift to you for free every single week. This is the podcast that turns the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So today, allow me and Professor Damien Hughes, who is an expert in organisational psychology, to speak to the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entertainers and entrepreneurs on the planet and let those people be your teacher. Today... We've got a special episode for you. Here's what's in store.
1: I think the way I look at money and happiness is I don't think money in and of itself brings us happiness, but I think money can remove common sources of unhappiness is probably how I look at it. We think that when we get a better job, a nicer car, we can go on a nicer holiday, we get a promotion, we think we're going to be happy. But what happens for many, many people is that they bust a gut to get all those things. They get those things and then they realize, man, I still feel crap. I've still got that hole in my heart that hasn't plugged that hole like I thought it was going to. The number one factor for your happiness is the quality of your relationships. I've made so many changes since then because I was, would question myself, whose life are you living? Are you living someone else's life or are you living your own life? And really my quest more and more is how can I really be me? Not perform at being me, not the version of me that I think other people want. How can I truly be me? Can you be a high-performance individual without having high levels of connection in your life? I don't think you can.
0: So today is all about education, but education in a different kind of way, educating you in the way you think. As you know, um, I love the book Daily Stoic, and um, it's a lesson every single day of the year from the Stoics. And there was a lovely quote I read recently from Epictetus who said, ''What is it then to be properly educated?'' Is it learning to apply our natural preconceptions to the right things according to nature? And beyond that, to separate the things that lie within our power from things that don't. It goes on to say, A degree on a wall means you're educated as much as shoes on your feet mean you're walking. It's a start, but it's hardly sufficient. Otherwise, how could so many educated people make unreasonable decisions or miss so many obvious things? And I think... That's what today is about. Just as you can walk very well without shoes, you walk an awful lot better with them on. And just as you could live an okay life without high performance or without the conversation today from ourselves and Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, you will find life an awful lot easier after this conversation. There are genuine takeaways in this episode for you when it comes to happiness and mindset and pressing reset and just looking at life in a completely new way. I cannot tell you how good... Rongan's book is "Happy Mind, Happy Life." It he calls it the new science of mental well being, and that's really what we discuss in today's podcast. Um, there is a link to the book on the description of this podcast. It is brilliant, it is fascinating, and you are going to get a lot from today's episode. So sit back and enjoy the high performance podcast with Doctor Rongan Chatterjee. Comes next.
3: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: Today on High Performance, we welcome a man you may already hear from a lot. Rangan Chatterjee has millions of people listening to his podcast, Feel Better, Live More, every month. He's written four Sunday Times bestsellers already, with almost a million of his books being sold globally. He's now written another one, Happy Mind, happy life it's a brilliant educational look at happiness why we haven't got as much of it as we should have where we've lost it and most importantly of all how we can find it again um i've read the book and i promise you there are genuine takeaways for how you are going to be living your life in fact um i took a couple of photos and put them in a whatsapp group with the rest of my family Um, and then i called harriet and i said to her hey you need to stop buying so many clothes because choice makes you unhappy, which was a new one on me, but um, it was brilliant. And it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Rongan to our podcast. I was just saying to him that I still get people every few days saying, Oh, I loved it when you went onto Rongan's pod. Um, how did he get so much out of you? And I think the answer, right, Damien, is, a, is about security. Because it's always rare, isn't it, when someone invites you into their house. We don't spend enough time in each other's houses anymore, particularly with mobile phones. Rongan records at his house. And I think I honestly think the half an hour I spent chatting to him and his wife, talking about their lunch, being offered food and drink, it totally changes the level on which you interact with people, doesn't it? It
4: brings the person, doesn't it, rather than just the profession. So, yeah, I think it's a really powerful, powerful um, invitation.
0: And after that invitation, we sat down and spoke, and now it's time to return the compliment. Wrong and Chatterjee, welcome to High Performance.
1: Guys, thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, pretty excited, flattered to be on the show. So yeah, can't wait to to get cracking. Great.
0: I'm I'm excited for this because having read the book, as I said, I think there are so many, I always hesitate to say life-changing things that people can take away from this because we hear that all the time, don't we? Every podcast everyone ever records is life-changing. But you know, I think that I'm pretty in tune with how to track down happiness and I have written down numerous things that, that I read in your book. So you know how we always ask people at the beginning, what is high performance? I'd love to know from you, in the context of happiness, from all the people you've met, this book you've written, all the research you've looked at, in the context of happiness, what do you think high performance looks like?
1: If you'd asked me this question, I think five or ten years ago, I'm pretty sure I would have given you a completely different answer. But in the context of happiness, and frankly, I'd say our wider lives, because I actually do think what we really all crave deep down is happiness depending on our definition of happiness of course i think high performance it's about presence for me i feel i am a high performer if i can be present in everything that i'm doing yeah it's easy to think about high performance as you know success at work i'm crushing it at work i've done that before i've worked so hard i'm doing really really well at work but I come to the dinner table and sit around with my wife and my kids and I'm not there. I'm still thinking about work or should I have done that? Should I have sent that email? That's not high performance, right? That's high performance potentially in one aspect of my life. But if I can't bring high performance into my family life, if I can't be a high performance husband, a high performance father, a high performance friend, then I think we've got a myopic kind of definition of what high performance is and I used to have that definition you know I would have thought in the past if I'm crushing it at work if I'm doing well if I'm seeing loads of patients I'm getting them better I'm a high performer but it's about presence and I'm not there yet yeah I'm definitely better than I was a few years ago but am I always present in everything I do no not at all but it's it's not a destination for me. It's it's a process. It's a journey. It's a it's something I'm trying to work at every day.
4: See, what I love about that, Ronan, is that one of the fears that we sometimes have on this podcast is that it can almost come across as a bit preachy. You know, like that we that we're not checking our privilege in many ways. And I think there's people out there that might be listening to this that are in. Like quite difficult or straightened circumstances or like are so mired in unhappiness. So I think what you're saying is that this is accessible for any of us. We can all start wherever we are. Am I reading accurate of
1: Yeah, it? Damien, you're spot on. The approach I've always taken with uh, patients, on my podcast, with my books, is how can you simplify and how can you make this as accessible as possible to as many people yeah um, I think that comes from my own life experience that comes from you know over 20 years now I've seen patients I've seen tens of thousands of patients and I guess for seven years of my career I worked in a place called Oldham not far from here where we're recording at the moment and you know it was uh, what would typically be called like a you know an, an inner city practice uh, pretty what would be considered a deprived population. Now, I don't love those terms or a population who has low socioeconomic status. And I learned a lot, right? I learned a lot. I learned a lot that yes, your surroundings and your environment massively determines how you feel about yourself. It can impact your life chances, your health. But I also learned that even in the midst of adversity, you can still make small choices every day that actually make a big difference. Like even if life is tough, if you can be present to that, you be present with your family, with your kids, you know, on one level you're winning. And I don't mean that to sound condescending, right? I should at this point mention that I don't think when we talk about happiness, I understand money is something that people often think about. They might go, well, yeah, you guys can sit around you know, talking about happiness, you guys are doing well at life. Right. And I get that. And the research, you know, there's a, there's a bit of conflict in the research, but but most of it points to this idea that once we have got enough to put a roof on our heads, to buy food for us and our family, to have that feeling of safety. Most of the research says that when we earn much more than that, it doesn't actually make us happy. So I think the way I look at money and happiness is I don't think money in and of itself brings us happiness, but I think money can remove common sources of unhappiness, is probably how I look at it.
0: So let's talk then from the viewpoint of uh, the people that are listening to this podcast. And I love that early on in the book, you talk about children and the joy of children. And this is really relevant because only yesterday we took our kids out for a play and I was saying to my wife, they were just down a we were in the middle of the countryside they were down an embankment like 20 yards away from us and there was a like a um, a drain pipe like for wastewater and one of us at one end one was at the other with a couple of their mates and i said to my wife i said i bet you they feel a million miles away from us they think this is some amazing adventure and they may well have a tiny snapshot in their heads of in 20 years time of this moment where like we were in the countryside somewhere there was like a pipe and it was we were so like deep in that moment and we all have those strange little snapshots in our heads And we have them because at that moment, my kids were 100% invested in sticks going in one end of the pipe and coming out the other. And who dared to crawl through the pipe first, right? That was the game. We're no longer there because we're adults. So we have things from our past that scar us, things in our future that worry us. So I thought that maybe we could really get deep on this by first of all talking, Rongan about where we are as human beings and also how we get back to that state that we were in as children. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I start off the book with that exact emotion, don't I? The introduction, I say, remember when you were a child. Whatever it is, everyone listening to this will have a memory, something from childhood. You know, for me, it's been barefoot on the grass. Uh, my older brother was sort of playing cricket against each other. You know, I think I was saluting the, not, uh, you know, the imaginary crowd, about the 50 I'd just scored in the garden. Um, but you're in the moment. You know, I see this with my kids, they're in the moment. You know, what was my definition of high performance? Being present and in the moment. Well, kids have got that. You had that. I had that. We all had it. But we lose it. And I think a lot of that comes down to society and the way it conditions us. I call it in the book, the adulthood contract that we sign. You know, we we get given this idea of success, that it's about doing better than other people at school right? I think that's when it starts. You know, you're, you're taught to compare yourself to others, whether schools want to or not. The result is, oh yeah, oh, I got this grade. Oh, they did. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting an award for that. And you know, I grew up with all of that, but I see it in my kids now and I think it's actually problematic because it sets you up for a definition of success that is not the same thing as happiness. So many of us think, we think that when we get a better job, A nicer car, we can go on a nicer holiday, we get a promotion, we think we're going to be happy. But what happens for many, many people is that they bust a gut to get all those things, they get those things, and then they realize, man, I still feel crap. I've still got that hole in my heart that hasn't plugged that hole like I thought it was going to. And I mean, I'm intrigued from you guys actually because you talk to you know, incredible athletes, incredible people who have met society's definition of success, right? That's, I guess, in many ways why they're being invited onto the show, because, you know, people get, they're successful, right? But how many of them, and, you know, you may not know that from an hour chatting to them, but how many of them are truly happy? That's the question I've got, because I spoke to Pippa Grange um, on my podcast a couple of years ago now, Pippa was the psychologist with the England football team. You know, Gareth Southgate brought her on. She was widely credited as being, um, you know, one of the, the voices that led to the culture change in the England football team. She's got this beautiful concept called winning shallow or winning deep. And she talks about how many of these elite athletes or elite footballers would literally, they'd win the FA Cup, right? They'd, be, they'd pick up the trophy, from a, from from being a kid, they've been practicing, they've been working, they've been playing every weekend, training, training. They get it, and as they're walking down the stairs, they're feeling crap inside. Right? It didn't plug that hole. I heard your conversation with Johnny Wilkinson. Johnny said, didn't he, when he when he won the World Cup? It's fleeting. That moment is fleeting. Within seconds of that, you've lost it. It's downhill. If that's the pinnacle of your career if that's the pinnacle of your life you've got a problem because if you do that in your 20s what does that say about the rest of your life so for me the way i sort of frame it for people is it's about identity right well it's first of all understanding what is success what is happiness they can overlap but they don't always and there's a few things i think people can do to actually you know define what happiness and success looks like for them. Um, in fact, if you're up for it, there's a there's a little exercise in the book I can try on you guys Go if on. you if you want. Yeah, yeah, so love that. it's um, it's it's really quite a fun thing to do. So have a think about three things that bring you real happiness. You know, what 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 three things could you do each week that if you did them, you feel you'd be really happy? Um, spending time with my children.
4: Uh, walking my dog and uh, reading a good book okay
0: I would also have spending time with the kids is the first one um, the second one is going to uh, the gym with my wife Like when we train together it's brilliant fun um, and finally getting the whole family together the cousins the aunts the uncles at my mum and dad's for, for a big meal
1: yeah no, and I would love that and then the second part of the exercise is, it's called write your happy ending, right? So you go to the end of your life, yep. right? Imagine you're on your deathbeds. What three things would you have wanted to have done in life when you're lying there on your deathbed?
0: Basically, this, I think i 'll drop out the gym thing, but the more time with the kids, more time with the family. I can't think much beyond those two, to be honest. Yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. It involves family. And what's really interesting about that is, it, it, it gives you this sort of microscopic day-to-day stuff and it also gives you the big picture stuff. And actually, when you really go and do the exercise sort of properly, you write down three things and you write down three things at the end of your life, then you go back to the first one and go, okay, if I manage to do these three things each week, then I know I'm moving towards the happy ending that I want. But for many people, when you do it, you realize, oh, wait a minute, like at any I want to talk about my relationships and my friends and my passions. I'm too busy with work. Like I'm working every weekend. I'm not home to see my kids Monday to Friday. And, and it's about intention. It's not about having to go at people, right? I understand life is tough. It's just about, and, and I think that's what high performance life is as well for me. It's an intentional life. It's you living life on your own terms because you've taken the time to define it. So... What you both said about relationships as well in the context of happiness and high performance I think is really, really interesting because there's this incredible study from Harvard. It's probably the longest-running study we've got. It's been going on for over 75 years. And they've done it in you, know, you know, people who've got all the privilege in life, who end up at Harvard, but they've also got it, people who don't go to Harvard, who are uh, from a more working-class background. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. The number one factor for your happiness... The quality of your relationships. Right? Nothing else comes close. So therefore, if we're talking about happiness, if we're talking about high performance, yeah. you've both said relationships, children, partners, friends, right? So the question then is: I would say the same thing, but I realized a few years ago, actually, you know what, wrong and you can say that those things are important to you, but you're working so much that you never see them. So instead of beating myself up then. It's about going, okay, so how can I subtly shift something to kind of change that? And I'll tell you, one of my patients from a few years ago, I remember so well, and I think the story might resonate with your audience. 35-year-old chap came in to see me, felt a bit indifferent about life, feeling pretty low. And I was asking him about his life. And from the outside, right, this guy was crushing it. Good job, running his own business, right, making good money, driving a sports car. Right? He's got all those external metrics of success. And maybe people are listening right now going, yeah, that's what I want. Right? But here's the thing. I asked him, because I was trying to figure out what's going on here. Why is he feeling so low? Why does he struggle to get out bed some mornings? And I said, okay, how, how often do you see your friends? And he said, well, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm sort of, I, I kind of see what they're up to on social media. I see them on Facebook and Instagram. I, I know what they're doing. Um, and I said, how, how often do you actually see them in real life? And He goes, I'm just too busy. I don't have time. And so I, I checked other things out, but the prescription I gave to him, I said, okay, li- listen, for the next six weeks, I want you to see your friends in person once a week. Now he was lucky. He lived in the town where he grew up. So his friends actually lived nearby. He just never saw them. And I sent him away. He comes back six weeks later He's like a different person. He bounces into the room. And I said, how are you feeling? He goes, Dr. actually, I feel great. I said, what happened? He goes, well, we started off on a Sunday morning. We'd go to the local uh, cafe and catch up over a latte. And then after a few weeks, that led to us restarting playing five-a-side once a week. And essentially, you know, I'm not exaggerating one iota here. He didn't have a you know, a serotonin deficiency, right? He didn't have an antidepressant deficiency. He had a friendship and relationship deficiency in his life, right? And he actually had the relationships. He was just too busy chasing success to actually nourish them. And his friends didn't know. This is, and what he, what he shared with me is he said, actually, my friends thought I was crushing it. And there's a whole chapter on this in the book. It's called Have Massless Conversations. It's about... Having those relationships where you can actually take off your masks and really be who you are. Like because you know, we, we go we often perform at life, don't we? We show up and we we put on a certain side of us so people think of us in a certain way. But who are those people in your life where you can be yourself, where you can take off the mask and you can share your vulnerabilities, your insecurities. And we know from research that those that is so nourishing for our health and our happiness.
4: See what I love about that though is that like that example of that guy that comes here. That doesn't cost anything, does it? You're not dispensing medicine, or you're not making expensive suggestions. You're just going, just come connect on a very human level.
1: Wellness and well-being. People often say that it's the preserve of the middle class, and I passionately disagree with that. Yep. Sure, it might make it easier, no question. But I'm pretty proud of. That pretty much everything I ever recommend, whether it's in this book or my previous books, is either free or low cost and is accessible to everyone. And I I really I take that seriously. I think it's the way I've been brought up. But it's also, you know, I have seen affluent patients, I've seen poor patients, and you know, there's a common humanity that that binds us all together. And I just want to help people. Right. And I know if you can simplify messaging. You know, for me, I always I was challenged myself. Is that simple enough? Could you simplify that concept even more? Yeah. You know, I've realized that, you know, I, I, I hope I've done it with this book. But I remember when I, when, I, when I sat down to write my very first book five years ago, it's called The Four-Pillar Plan. I remember the uh, first week or two of writing, I was thinking, you know, I really want doctors to like this. I want my peers to like this book. And after a couple of weeks, I was like, and why are you writing this book? Are you writing it to help people or just to show off to your peers about how much you know? And I scrapped it. I thought, right, I'm starting from scratch. I want this book to help people. So I'm going to write this for the reader so it's helpful and actionable for them. Anytime I think I'm showing off, I'm trying to show people how much I know, look in the mirror, ask yourself, does that bit really need to be in or are you doing that for your own ego? See, because that fills up an
4: interesting question that Jake and I were talking about before we met you, and about... How important is being authentic now versus being accepted? Because, like, th- when you're talking there about being accepted amongst your peers, that seems to be a driver five years ago. And now the message is very much about authenticity.
1: Yeah, I- I've totally changed. It- it's all about authenticity now. But what I call true authenticity, not performative authenticity. I couldn't have written this book even three years ago. Because I've been very open about perceived failings in my life, insecurities that I've had, and I would have been too scared of what people would have thought of me. Yep. But you know, since my dad died in 2013, it was such a massive hole in my life. For many reasons. Of course, losing a parent is always tricky. But I used to care for dad, so I moved back to the Northwest. I was working at Edinburgh as a doctor. I moved back to help my mum and my brother care for dad. So that was 15 years of my adult life, being a carer for Dad. So I lived five minutes away. And so when dad died, that was a huge hole. And I had time for the first time in my adult life. I'd go walking, I'd go thinking. And really, I've made so many changes since then because I was, would question myself, whose life are you living? Are you living someone else's life? Are you living your own life? And really my quest more and more is how can I really be me? Not perform at being me, not the version of me that I think other people want. How can I truly be me? And it's been a quest on my own podcast. I, I try very much to think, am I being the same person off the mic as on the mic? And it sounds like it'd be the easiest thing in the world, right? Just be yourself. Why is it the hardest thing? Because as, as kids, we were ourselves, but somehow then we take on all these, this conditioning from society. And the truth is, you know, I think for most of my life, I didn't feel good enough. I, I think there's something about the, maybe the immigrant mentality here that, I remember if I came home from school with 99%, my mum and dad would say, why do not you get 100? If I came, got 19 out of 20, it was like, well, why do not you get 20 out of 20? So, uh, uh, to be really clear, I love my parents. They brought me up, I think, really, really well. This is not about criticising them. This is about what did I take from that that I didn't realise. I think I took from that, if I'm not the best, if I'm not crushing it, if I'm not getting achievements, I'm not really loved. And I spoke to mum about that, literally, because I I wrote about this in the book, and I spoke to mum about this a few months ago. I said, hey mum, can I ask you, you, why did you... you know, why did you keep asking me those things? And she said, well, I knew you were capable. I wanted you to be the best that you could be. Now, you know you know what's up. Like you get older, you have kids, you really start to kind of see your parents in a different light. Like I think, oh, wow. You know, how did you deal with those struggles? Like I'm a similar age, you know, that sort of thing. It's really interesting. And from their perspective, they've come to a foreign country, the UK. They're facing discrimination in various ways. Their way of... Their kids not having to face that was to crush it at school. That's why education is such a massive thing for lots of immigrant families. It's like if you do well, if you get A grades, so you go to a good university, you won't have to face what we faced. So I, I love them. I understand. She says, look, we didn't do that with your brother because your brother's different from you, but we did it with you because we know you're capable. But I took that as being I'm not good enough unless I be someone who I'm not and I've only realised in the last few years how toxic that has been for me. I think for much of my life, I, I won shallow. I didn't win deep. I can't remember at uni. I was at uni in Edinburgh. And, uh, you know, sometimes on a Sunday, you know, you've been partying Friday, Saturday night. On a Sunday, we'd go to this place called Diane's Pool Hall in Edinburgh. I'd go with one of my best mates. And if I was ever losing, I'm a pretty decent player, if I was ever losing like I'd go into the toilets, I'd go and look at myself in the, in the mirror. I'd hit myself on the, on the cheek. I'd say, come on, Chatterjee, come on, get back out there. Right, I'd go there and more often than not, I'd go and win. But what's really interesting is that it was quite a shallow win. i realized I didn't, it wasn't that I wanted to win. It's just that the pain of losing was too great. Do you know, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah.
4: Because what was it that you felt losing would say about you?
1: I had tied winning up with my identity, right? So, and this is where I think many of us fall into a trap, whether it's success, whether it's winning, whether it's your job, right? What's your identity? So I think identity is really key for all of us to ask ourselves. And I think it comes down to values because my identity was tied up in winning. If I win, life's great. If I lose, life's just not, a little bit bad. Life's awful. And I think then you spiral into what I call junk happiness in the book. Junk happiness is something wrong with junk happiness, but junk happiness is the sort of things that we think happiness are. So half a bottle of wine, trip down to the casino, chocolate bar. I'm not saying those things are bad, but if you're engaging in them too often and you think that's what's making you happy, I think that's potentially a problem. So I've done a lot of work on my identity. I don't even identify anymore as a father or as a doctor. and I think that surprises people. So I think identities can be limiting for us. So if I say I'm a doctor and I'm a father, and to be clear, I'm very proud of both of those things, then what happens? Let's say I get fired from a job as a doctor. Let's say I get sick and I can't work. If my identity is wrapped up in being a doctor, I've got a problem. I'll start to feel worthless. As a father, if who I am as a father, then what happens when my kids leave home, right? What happens if my kids shout at me when they're teenagers and we have a and they say, you're a crap father, right? This happens. I've got patients like this where they, they feel worthless because the whole identity is wrapped up in that. So those are roles that I play. They're not who I am. And what I think is a useful exercise for everyone is to, in the book I call it The Identity Menu, where you go through, I've listed about 15 values or so. It's not an exhaustive list, but really try and identify what are your core values. So for me, I've done this exercise on many occasions. My three core values are integrity, curiosity and compassion. Those are the values I try and bring into everything I do. So, when I'm a father, am I living by those values? When I'm a doctor, am I living by those values? When I'm on the high performance podcast, interacting with you two, am I living by those values? Because then, if I am, that's what I can take around with me in my back pocket, no matter what happens in life. Does that that make sense?
4: But what I'm intrigued about them, Rongan, is how did you identify them? So how anyone listening to this could could go through that process of identifying what are their three core values?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think how I did it was this wasn't just like a one hit where I just sat down and go, what are my three core values? This was a constant uh, process of self-inquiry, asking myself questions, Like regularly asking myself, do these values sit with me? Reassess a few weeks later, get, not sure. You know, it's asking a lot of questions. One of the things that's really helped me, and I think it's really helped me with my values, is this idea that I call seek out friction. I think this is probably the thing that's had the most impact on my happiness over the past few years, if not over my entire life. And it's look for friction in day-to-day life and use it as your teacher. So let's say you get an email from your boss or a colleague that pisses you off, right? You could take the opinion that they should send me an email differently. They should use better tone in their email, right? But then you make yourself a prisoner because ultimately you now are dependent on how people around you are behaving for your happiness in order for you to feel good. So I would say flip it in that moment, go, okay, what can I learn about myself here? What is it that's been triggered in me, right? Why, why am I getting bothered? Because one thing I've learned, mate, is that when you get to that place where you are truly secure in who you are, I'm not always there. I'm better than I was. I've still got, bit of, I've still got some ways to go. But when you're truly secure in who you are, what other people do, it doesn't really bother you. Like the the praise doesn't go to your head and artificially elevate your ego like it might've done in the past. But the criticism also doesn't take you down and make you feel worthless because you know you're responsible for your feelings. So I I use that every day. If something happens and I get triggered, I'm like, why did that trigger me? Is it because I'm knackered and haven't slept? Is it because actually they've got a point? You know, because sometimes, you know what it's like, you know- It's not about
0: being blind to the- Potential criticism
1: or the issues you've got. Is yeah. It? It's about being honest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, you know, in the wider concepts of high performance, I think one of the problems that this links to authenticity is I think many of us are walking around not knowing who we really are. Right. We're trying to live up to society's definition of success. We're in the rat race. We're so busy trying to do more, be more, acquire more, get more, that we don't know how to simply be. And like be ourselves and i think that's the big ticket journey for high performance for happiness is are you living a truly authentic life i really think that's what it's about
0: is there an argument though that we have to go through a period of confusion and not knowing and self doubt because you know we've spoke, you're a similar age to me you're four, You're you 41 44 44 um, I think that I wouldn't have been able to host this podcast five years ago because I did not feel confident enough to have a conversation about high performance because my concern was I'd be judged by other people. So that was the issue. And then I look at kids, and we spoke about them at the very beginning. Well, they've got no issue because they are just totally and utterly authentic. You know, Sebastian said the other day, I want to be a rock star, but he says it in a way that it's literally going to happen. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Because they just believe it. So do you feel that people have to go through the... The decade, or maybe two decades, of confusion from let's say eighteen to thirty-eight till you hit your forties, where life is hard and life is tricky, and there'll be people listening to this that are right in the middle of that now. Probably,
1: it's something I think about a lot, Jake. This idea that can you learn this stuff without having to go through it? You know, think about that as parents, don't we? We want to protect our kids from having to go through the hard times, even though we probably all- The only
0: way they're going to learn is by letting them go through the hard times. Exactly,
1: if we think about our own lives, I think, speaking for myself, adversity is one I learned the most. Adversity is what has taught me probably the most powerful learnings in my life. So I think on some level, yes, I really do. As a doctor, I think about this all the time. Why does it take someone to- for their partner to die, or them to have a heart attack before they want to follow the advice that they knew before, but they needed that. So I think you're right. I think there's an element of that, but I don't think we, I don't think we necessarily have to go to the extremes. I think we can learn some of these things. And I, I, I hope, I'm sure people are finding this already when they listen to your show regularly, that the lessons they keep learning week after week I'm sure are helping shift their perspective. You know, we didn't have podcasts when we grew up, right? We didn't have access to all this incredible information just at the tip of our fingertips. So I don't feel it was that easy to learn this stuff. Whereas you probably got teenagers now listening to the podcast, learning this stuff, going, oh, wow, What? Well, hold on a minute. Johnny Wilkerson, he won the World Cup and then it was downhill in his emotions straight after that. Oh, wow, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought that would be a pinnacle. I'm trying to practice every day after school because I think that's going to make me happy. Even just putting that awareness into people early, I feel means that they will turn the ship around earlier.
4: Well, there was a brilliant study, wasn't there, about um, in your world wrong and around doctors that when they explained about cancer cells that were being attacked by chemotherapy and people didn't necessarily understand what chemotherapy did, whereas when they told the story about a castle, that that was effectively the cancer and it was about the knights coming in to attack the castle and that was how they released it. Just the very fact of using stories and metaphors allowed people to understand what their treatment was, and therefore they got better quicker because they had that sense of yeah, connection with the it.
1: Connection. Connection's key, isn't it? It's yeah. um, part of what I do in work is I teach doctors. So we don't really get taught much about nutrition and lifestyle at medical school at all. And I've created this, you know, Royal College GP accredited course where we teach thousands of doctors and healthcare professionals how you do this. And once at the course, someone asked me, what's, what's the biggest thing you've learnt in your you know, years of practice? I said so the biggest thing I've learned are these four words. Connect first, educate second. And I kind of feel that holds true for all of us in every aspect of life. Whenever I've got a patient in front of me, my number one goal at the start is, how can I connect with this person? How can I use my body language? How can I look at them? How can I make sure they feel heard and seen? Only once I've done that do I then move on to the education part of you know, helping them understand what they need to do? Because if you, if, you, if you think you're too busy and you fast-track connection and go straight to education, it doesn't work. Well, wasn't there a study done?
4: And, you, and you'll either correct me or, or, or verify it. In America, where they looked at doctors that were sued the most versus doctors that had the lowest yeah. level of litigation. The difference was those that got sued the most had a 15-minute appointment time the ones that had lowest
1: levels, their appointment times were 18 and a half minutes. So that connection me, yeah. was that three and, and a half minutes. Connection's key. But, it, but that's the doctor-patient relationship. But what we're talking about, we're talking about a relationship, right? Any relationship in life, think about with your wives. Uh, this is not um, male or female, or you know, people's husbands or partners. People want to feel heard first. They want to feel heard. And I think that's what we're missing as we get busier and busy and we're rushing around, we miss out that piece, but it's the most important piece. It's what makes us human. Can you be a high performance individual without having high levels of connection in your life? I don't think you can. I really don't think you can. And, and Jay, you know, you asked me about, at the start, about society and um, not where does it go wrong, but what happens to the kids. Yeah. Another thing which, you know, maybe I'm sharing because I know your sort of past guest list I think there's something about heroes that's problematic in society that I've been thinking a lot about recently. Um, I think we worship the wrong heroes. And the example I'd give is, if I take my own life, you know, I've loved sport my entire life. I'd put people on a pedestal. Man, I loved Tiger Woods, right? Literally, you know, as a teenager, I wouldn't play golf. I wouldn't be interested in golf. if tiger didn't exist. It just wasn't a part of my upbringing, a part of my culture. You know, golf would not have even being on my radar without Tiger Woods, yeah. right? So I put him on a pedestal and then, you know, it's been very well uh, documented, um, the fall from grace that Tiger had. And I think we worship the wrong heroes because here's the thing, we put people like Tiger on a pedestal. And we think, I wanna be like Tiger, look at him, you know, the way he holds those birdie parts, look at the way he drives, you know. But here's the thing, it has very little relevance for any one of us because very few of us have eight hours a day to practice, right? It, it's a false comparison. We're like, no, no I want to be able to do that. Oh, Tiger does that little stinger down the face. I want to be able to do that. It's like, okay, hold on a minute. Great, sure, go and practice. But if you put him on a pedestal and then suddenly you get, you saw the outpouring of the, the anger, the animosity towards him, right? He's just a flawed human being just like you, just like me. Right? If you look at his upbringing, you look at you know everything that happened, of course it was going to happen. No social life, no girlfriends, his dad shouting racist abuse at him to train him for when he's going to get it on the course. Of course, at some point, that's going to blow up. So we need to worship that component. Say, actually, you know, I worship his golf swing. Yeah. If, even if you want to worship anything, which you, we can say is challenging in and, in and of itself, but if you want to worship Tiger... You've got to worship every part of him. You've got to worship also the painkiller addiction, the broken marriage, the depression, the real inner demons. And so these days, and this is literally in the last years, you know, who do I worship these days? My father-in-law, right? I tell you, that has more relevance for my life than worshiping Tiger. I'm a huge fan of Tiger still, right? I don't judge people. He did what he did. I'm in no position to judge him. It's a big thing in my life is that I don't judge people. If I find myself falling into that trap, I pull back and go, why are you judging? We love to judge people, especially at the moment. But I think judgment for most of us comes from a feeling of inadequacy in ourselves. So we like to put them down a little bit to make us feel a bit better. But again, you're putting yourself in a prison. But my father-in-law, if I go back to values, my three core values are integrity, compassion and curiosity does tiger have anything to do with my three core values he may do he may not but the point is my father-in-law does because i've never once seen him raise his voice i've never once seen him where he hasn't had the most warm delightful smile that makes everyone in the room feel better and i think well if you want to live by values rongan that guy that should be your hero do you know what I mean? So I think these societal things about, because people will, you know, let's take the podcast. They'll look at the, you know, um, Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, you know, all these incredible people who've done incredible things. I'm not saying we shouldn't worship them. I'm not saying you shouldn't look at their skills and go, if you want to play football, go and practice them. But I think there is a problem with the level of hero worship. Yeah. It reminds me of that lovely story that Michael Johnson tells. Do you remember the, the athlete in... Uh, the, 400 400-metre uh,
4: runner. runner. Yeah, go on. And he wrote a book called uh, Slaying, Slaying the Dragon, I think it was. And he, he tells a story once. He was having dinner with, his, with, the, with somebody. And somebody came over and asked him for an autograph. And he said, no, I'm having dinner. You know, I'm sorry, you're not interrupting me. We're having a private dinner. And the lady said, you're, in a, uh, you, like, you're a disgrace. My young son over there is heartbroken. And his point was why are you putting me on a pedestal? I've not asked to do it. But what you've role-modeled is rudeness, lack of grace, indiscretion, in that one interaction of asking me for the autograph. And you're a more yeah. significant figure in your child's
1: life than I am. You know, and I think you're making that point. That- exactly. And I, you know, I grew up in Manchester and obviously football was a big part of teenagers. I remember, you know, you'd see all these footballers who you idolise, suddenly they'd be on the front page of a tabloid with, you know, whatever might have been going on. And we love to tear them down. I think now, as a father, as someone who really tries to live with this value of compassion, I think, well, how many people, if they were earning tens of thousands of pounds a week at the age of 18, staying in five-star hotels, having, let's say you're a stereotypically a guy, and there's lots of people throwing themselves at you, every weekend, how many people would also succumb to some of the things that the footballers do? Well, I think it's probably most people or many people, but we like to think we wouldn't. And we like to think, you know, people aren't putting a microscope on our lives. And it, it sort of speaks to what I've talking about seeking out friction before, about how can you use a bit of social friction to learn something about yourself if you're struggling. And I, I really would urge everyone listening to try this for seven days anytime you feel you're judging someone or they're pissing you off in some way, ask yourself or say this to yourself. If I were them, I'd be doing exactly the same thing. So can I jump in there? Because my
4: wife loves your podcasts and uh, she, so she gave me a line from one of your guests on it where I was complaining about something. This is a couple of years ago. And she said, if I was them, I would have made exactly the same decision. And it was life-changing for us. So I'm, I'm just jumping in to advocate. Um, it's such a powerful thing. It's tool. so
1: powerful because what it means, right? If you really get it, it's like, if I was that person with their childhood, with their parents, with their childhood experiences, with their work, with their social media feeds, I would be making exactly the same decision. I'd be acting in exactly the same way. And if you think you wouldn't, I would uh, politely suggest that it's our ego talking. Right? Because if they could do it any other way, they would. Now it doesn't mean that means we need to accept behavior that's you know that we don't like. It's not about that. It's about understanding that their view of the world. Look, we both had John McAvoy, right? We've both had John McAvoy on the show. I think I've had about three times now. I love John because there's very few people I find talk with the authenticity that that guy does. And I think that's because of where he's been and what he's been through. But when you hear John's story from childhoods, you totally get why he ended up in prison. I'm convinced that if I grew up like John, I'd have two life sentences and be in prison. 15 years ago, you'd see someone like John McAvoy and you'd say, lock him up, throw away the key. And now he's probably one of the most incredible people I know, I would happily leave him at home alone with my kids looking after them. Like genuinely, the guy's incredible. And it just goes to the power of judgments. and like, you know, do you know what I mean? It's, it's-
0: yeah. Well, I assumed when we met him, I thought, well, I'm not going to like this guy because he's just a criminal. Then we had Carl Loco on a while ago um, and he was a gang leader in Brixton and he's now doing amazing things as a businessman. And again, if you just have an opinion of him, you would say, well, why would you put him on a high-performance podcast? Because he was a, he indulged in gang violence. But that, that allows for no empathy or no understanding of his story and who he was. And I think that, you know, we talk about putting people on pedestals. I totally agree with that. I think it's still brilliant to hear from yeah. sports people about the mindset and the determination, the consistency, because we could all learn from that. But I think instead of having anyone right up high and other people down low, we should endeavour to have less opinion of other people A more knowledge, and more understanding, and more empathy of them and their story. And then we can actually make a considered judgment about maybe this footballer is someone I would put on my idol list, because I know them, I know I understand what they've been through, and an armed robber can be on the same list as a a, a top-level athlete. They can be in the same place.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jake. And I think, you know, you guys know this, because you also have a weekly podcast, but when you dive deep with people and you hear their story, you have a deep level of empathy and compassion. And you, you realize also happiness, it really is how you approach the world. The goal of all my work in whatever form it is, is that I want people to feel as though they can be the architects of their own health and happiness. I don't want someone's happiness to be dependent on the world around them. That doesn't mean I don't think the world around them has an influence. Of course it does. But you can shift your mindset so that you know in every situation you have a choice. What's, you know, I know you, you also love Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And um, you know between stimulus and response is a space. And it's that space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And with our response or with that choice lies our growth and freedom. That's it for me that is it. When you understand as hard as it is, you get to choose how you respond in every situation. That's freedom. That's freedom. There's a, this, this will interest you guys. There's a study done on a football match, right? This I think really speaks to what is truth. An incident happens and depending on who you were supporting, you saw that incident completely differently. We all know that feeling. Yep. You know, it's like, you know, you'll say that was a foul, that was a yellow card. The other say no, you didn't touch him, right? Same incidents. Two people have got their idea of truth. I think that applies to, um, let's say, two partners having a row. Yeah. Let's say the, the stereotypical marital row. Well, you know what? Both people, depending on what side you sit on, have got a completely different view of the same situation. So what does that teach us? It means that, Any given situation has multiple realities, has multiple stories. So my philosophy in life is always choose the happiness story, right? If you want to be happy, right? If you want to be happy, choose the happiness story. You could see a situation and make yourself the victim. You could say, oh man, it always happens to me. You know, I can't believe it. I'm, you know, hey, and I say that with compassion. Or you can shift it and go, no, okay, I'm going to choose a different story here. Right? The example I think I give in the book is, let's say in March, April 2020, first lockdown in the UK comes in. There's all these things about loo roll shortages on the news. People go, ah, I can't believe people are doing this. How mean? How was... Right. You can, you can tell yourself that story. You're, you know, you're completely welcome to. But what happens then? You create stress in your body. You create tension. Oh, man, I can't believe people are like that. Or you can go, actually, I'm going to choose a happiness story here. Okay. Um, maybe everyone who went to the shop that day just bought one extra. And actually, at the end of the day, the shelves were empty. Or maybe that guy who came up with a trolley with 16 packs of toilet roll, maybe they're a carer for their grandparents and their parents. Or maybe they work in a nursing home. Maybe they had to get loads. Or maybe, you know, someone is really, really poor. They don't have much money. I thought, actually, this is a great opportunity right as much as we may think or oh, what a low life thing to do right because people will judge that but when you look at it from the other side you go actually do you know what
0: what is the benefit to us thinking what's the benefit that? yeah. that's
1: the point it doesn't that, matter what's true if yeah. you want to be happy choose the happiness story love that it's almost being uh, do they
4: call it pro as opposed to being paranoid being pronoid is you see everyone is out to help you that idea that but yeah, I didn't know can, that, what, but I love it. I but what love can it. be
0: bad in that? If you just, and people will go, oh, you've been unrealistic, so what? You can, if it makes you feel good, it makes you happy.
1: Here's the thing about this stuff, right? And this is the whole point of the book, really, is to show you happiness is a trainable skill, right? You can get good at happy. But when do we learn how to be happy, right? Did we get, did we get taught it at school? I certainly didn't. Did I get taught it by my parents? Absolutely not. Did I get taught it by society? No. But actually, there are some simple things that you can do that don't cost money, that you can do every day, right? And little by little, you get better at it. So, you know, writing a happiness story, you might find it hard straight away. Practice it week on week. You'll find in two months, you are transformed as a person. Society's
0: busy telling us that it's written already. Oh, you're not the sort of person that's going to be happy those things aren't going to go your way that's the issue is that we're constantly I think battling against all the things we've discussed on this podcast that makes people think oh, happiness is out of my control and therefore they're waiting for happiness therefore it never comes
4: and it's difficult there was another interview we did that what you're saying is just for anyone listening was reinforced with um, when we interviewed Robin Man Percy yeah. and he, he he described how he wrote what was called the Zander letter named yeah after I read ben it in yeah so, but he talks about how he talks about where he wanted to view his career and be happy at the end of it, so I think i'm just reinforcing what you're saying for anyone listening to this to think this is best
1: practice that's been that's been adopted and I think with happiness, the other thing which I think is really important to understand because it's almost becoming a bit uncool now to talk about happiness it 's like you know we shouldn't be chasing happiness it 's about meaning it's about purpose and I spent weeks thinking about this when writing about it. I thought, how can I unpick that? And I think one of the big problems is, again, going back to Jake, what you're saying kind of at the start about these kind of societal conditionings, we get sold an image of what happiness is, right? We think happiness is having a smile on your face, being out on the beach with the waves behind you, with your family in tow, right? We're told that that's happiness, That's pleasurable, but I don't think that's necessarily happiness. That can be part of a happy life. And I've got this um, sort of new definition of happiness that I call core happiness. And I've designed it so that people can think of it as something they can strengthen and work on over time. So just as you, if you want bigger biceps, right? Go to the gym, do bicep curls every day. Your biceps are going to get bigger. Well, I contend that if you work on these three legs of the core happiness stool, day after day, week after week, you are going to become happier. The three legs are alignment, which is when the person who you want to be and the person you are being out there in the world are one and the same. It's basically when your values and actions match up. So that question you asked us earlier about- Exactly, exactly. So that's alignment. Uh, The second leg is um, control. So this is not about controlling the world that is inherently uncontrollable. It's about giving yourself a sense of control. So what little things can you do each day that give you a sense of control? Or well, your reaction to the world is a good one. Absolutely. And as you wrote in your book, you know, you quoted the same study that uh, scientists have shown that people who have a strong sense of control over their lives, are happier, they make more money, they have better relationships, they have longer relationships, they have less stress. So even though the world is uncontrollable, what things can you do to give your, your, yourself a feeling of control?
4: Wasn't there that other study as well, Rongan, around um, people in hospitals that when they gave them a plant to look after because they had the yeah. uh, control of water in it, had a significant impact on their recovery rates because they felt they had something yeah. within
1: their... And I think that's one thing as medics, as doctors, I think one thing we've not been very good at is we label people and we take their autonomy and agency over their lives away from them. One thing I've learned in medicine, people need to feel that they have some agency over what they're doing, even if they've got a bad diagnosis and they're on medications. If I can say, yeah, if you um, can go for a 20-minute walk each day, that's going to help A, B, and C. If you can do some meditation, if i to say that will help with your pain, for example. You see that body language change. It's like, okay, great. So I've got this thing, but now these are the little things that I can do. It's so, so important in many aspects of a life. We need to have a sense of control. And that third leg is contentment. It's about feeling calm and at peace with your life and your decisions. And basically, once you understand that core happiness stool, you can look at various things in your life and go, how does that work on my core happiness stool? Does that strengthen that leg or does it kind of cut that leg in half? I tell you, when you're not being authentic to who you are, you pretty much cut all three legs of that stool straight away because you're being someone who you're not. You can't hide from yourself. If you value integrity, integrity and being kind, you know if you've acted in a way that's not that, you know, I think it's really, really important. And it, but it's not that hard. It really isn't. We're talking about meaning and purpose. Where that fits in is, I think meaning and purpose is a necessary ingredient for happiness, but it's not happiness in and of itself. So meaning and purpose comes under the alignment leg. And, and why I'm so passionate about this, have you heard of the Japanese concepts of ikigai?
4: Yes, yeah, no.
1: You, oh, Jay, you'd love it. You'd literally love it. I, I, this is this, this cultural concept in Japan. So, what we should be looking for is our ikigai, and it's four things. When you do something that you're good at, when you do something that the world needs, yep. when you do something that you enjoy, and you do something that makes you money.
0: And you have to have all those four things at the same time.
1: That's the goal, right? right? So, it's
4: like a Venn diagram.
0: It's a Venn, Venn diagram. diagram. It's lovely. Yeah, I love and I that.
1: would imagine. I, don't, I can't speak for you guys, of course, but I would imagine doing the podcast might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run me through the four again. Something you're good at. Yep. Something that you enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Something that the world needs. Yep. And something that gives you money.
0: I think we hit three out of four on this podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but what, I'll tell you why that's so important, right? It's a Japanese concept. And I remember I wrote about this in my second book, The Stress Solution. I was on stage in London about a few days after the book came out. And I was taking Q&A at the end of the talk. And I remember back right of the arena, the sand went up. And uh, this, this uh, student in London said, Hi, Dr. Shastgyi, I'm an 18-year-old Japanese student. I grew up with this concept of ikigai. And I actually found it off-putting. I found it too much pressure. I thought, how am I ever going to achieve this mythical ikigai? Right? And that's, I really thought about that when trying to unpick meaning, purpose and happiness. This is where I've got to. It's about alignment, right? If you figure out what your core values are and you live each day in accordance with those values, you get meaning and purpose as a byproduct, product right? So let's say someone's listening to this, they're working in a call centre, right? let's say they don't enjoy the job. But one of their values is kindness. If they on the way to work and they stop off in the coffee shop and they're kind to the barista, if when they get to work, they're kind to their work colleagues, if on the way back, they're kind to the bus driver who takes them home, you know what? Yeah, you may not enjoy your job. You may want to change that, but you're living in alignment. You are living with meaning because you're living in a corner. So I think that's how I've tried to crack it.
0: And it's still about looking for those things. Yeah. Rather than saying to ourselves, well, I can't possibly be that because... This is my job. This is my life. This is where I live. You know, whatever the issue is, they're they're blockers rather than. And you'll find it. Out.
1: You'll get the meaning and purpose. Yeah, 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 it yeah. will come. So, and 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 sadness. Can you be sad and happy? Yeah, you can, yeah. right? If you're if if you're feeling sad, if you've if someone's died, right? You're not feeling good, and you're feeling sad. What's toxic is when you try and pretend you're feeling good. You're not aligned. Then you're kidding yourself inside. You're you're crying, and on the outside, you're trying to say. Oh, I'm I'm fine. It's like, no, well, if you can get aligned, it's like, no, I'm in grief, I'm struggling. I think that's so powerful, Rongan. I think that,
4: because again, like one of the criticisms that we sometimes get on here is that we're teaching the world to paint a smile on the face when everything's going wrong, that yeah. shit happens and you've got to pretend it's great. And that sort of toxic happiness is is something that you're articulating is a powerful thing. You can be sad and still content,
1: can't you? It's, totally, yeah. And I think sadness is a natural human emotion. And no matter how good our lives might be or might appear to be, we're all going to have times where we feel sad. That's okay.
0: We're about to move on to our quickfire questions, but there's one thing I really want to make clear for people listening to this. If they've listened to this whole thing and they think that sounds great, but I'm kind of busy or I've got young kids or I've started a new job. So I'm just going to delay my quest for happiness for another year, another couple of years, another five years. Research shows... Happiness and health are linked absolutely clearly. Happier people live longer, live healthier, and they do the same things as the unhappy people, but the happiness is what keeps them alive. I think people need to know that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Jay, you've made such a great point. And that really was, you know, why would I, as a doctor for 20 years, why would I be writing a book on happiness? Why is a doctor writing a book on happiness? Well... For years, I've been saying that 80% of what we see as doctors is in some way related to our collective modern lifestyles. I absolutely stand by that. And so I've always spoken to people about what I call these four pillars of health, food, movement, sleep, and relaxation. And when we make small changes in each of those four areas, you know, we have huge impacts on our health and well-being no matter what our starting point is. But a few years ago, I started to wonder... Well, why is it that some people can make those changes? Why do some people make those changes for a few weeks and then they flip back? You know, could there be something that's even more important than these lifestyle changes? And I think it is that it's happiness and it's well-being. And, you know, I very much resonated with your book, guys, when you started off and so said we're gonna talk about mindset first. Right? That's the first part of the book, right? It's mindset, because mindset Get that right, everything else afterwards becomes so much easier, and the research shows this so clearly. Happiness and health are linked. Why is that? A couple of quick reasons to to explain to people. Number one, when you feel happier and more content with who you are, you find it easier to make healthy lifestyle choices. Right? If you feel really content with your day and the state of your life, you are less likely to dive into a tub of Ben & Jerry's that evening in front of television, or drown your stresses or sorrows in half a bottle of wine that evening. right? you're less likely to feel the need for doing that because you're not trying to use it to medicate the way that you're feeling, right? So that's one reason why. But the other reason, there was this really famous study called the nun study. And they looked at these nuns, you know, and they basically, when they match them, they had the same lifestyle behaviours, same good diet, same exercise routine, same amount of sleep.
4: Because we were all in the same convent, weren't they? Exactly.
1: Even when that was all matched, the happier nuns lived significantly longer.
4: seven years, wasn't
1: it? Exactly. So happiness and health are absolutely intertwined. And for people who are saying, oh, I'll do it next year, I'm too busy at the moment. My challenge would be, I'm not asking you to overhaul your life. I'm not asking you to leave your job. I'm not asking you to create loads of free time to engage in your passions I'm asking you maybe take one small thing that you've heard on the show today anything maybe it was if you were them you'd be doing the same thing maybe it's you know you're going to look for periods of social friction every time you get triggered you're just going to say oh why did that trigger me you can do that alongside your life and I promise you it's like a ripple effect you start with one small thing you do it consistently within weeks you will feel like a different person and it will radiate to everyone around you so don't wait life is happening to you now start now brilliant
0: what a powerful episode um happy mind happy life is the book that rongan has written thank you so much for coming and sharing some amazing lessons from that book with us are you ready for your quick fire (laughs) question i am ready um uh, some of these you may well have shared with us already um three non-negotiable behaviors that you and the people around you must buy into
1: again this is where it gets different having this conversation in 2022 as opposed to having it in 2015 i would have answered that straight out seven years ago but that bit must buy into if i feel that someone around me must buy into something i make myself a prisoner because i'm dependent on them Buying into something, they have to behave in a certain way. They have to get this part about me, because if they don't, it's going to be problematic for me. So I no longer need anyone around me to buy into what I do. But in terms of the what I consider to be the intention behind that question, I'm interpreting that as: are there three things that I try and do each day that maybe are really important for my health and happiness. Is that an accurate?
4: Yeah, it's almost like stuff that you wouldn't compromise on yourself.
1: For me, I'd say it's my morning routine. And that actually has three components to it. And why that's so important for me is it gives me an opportunity to be with myself and to gain perspective on my life. Uh, in, In the new book, I call it, you know, go on holiday every day, right? And what I mean by that is we all love to go on holiday right? So what is it that a holiday gives us? Like, we think it's the sun and the beach and the drinks and the cocktails, but, you know, we enjoy those things. But I think a big thing that holidays give us is perspective. You know, even when you get on that plane and you're just taking off, you suddenly have literally and metaphorically that 30,000 foot view on your life. You know, you can see all the little things you're worrying about and you just put it in, you know, you just, you manage to put it in that it's proper context. And what, what I want people to understand is you don't have to wait for that one week a year to get a holiday from your life. You can take a holiday every single day. It could be just 10 minutes, 10 minutes where you tune out of your life. You step outside to gain perspective and reflect. It could be a walk around the block. It could be picking up your guitar. It could be doing a jigsaw, whatever, right? For me, it's my morning routine. So I get up. Now I'm not saying people need to do this, but I get up between 4.30 and 5 every morning. And I do that because I know I'm a better human being when I've had time to myself and my kids have always got up early. So since I became a dad, I've been moving my, bed, my bedtime earlier and earlier and I get up earlier and earlier. So I get up in the morning and I do roughly about half an hour now of a morning routine. It's got three Ms, mindfulness, movement, mindset. Mindfulness, what does that look like for me? Either some meditation or some breath work, right? I've got various things that I do, but I start off the day don't get, literally in my pajamas, come downstairs, do a bit of meditational breath work. Then what do I do? I make myself coffee. So I've got a routine, right? I make coffee, I weigh out 15 grams. I'm pretty particular with it. Pour in the water and then it brews for five minutes. In those five minutes, I don't go on Instagram. I don't go on my emails. I do a five minute workout in my kitchen. Right, so I'm in my pyjamas. I make it easy to do. If you make things hard, you don't do them. So I make it easy. I've got a kettle by there. I've got a dumbbell. I'll do a five-minute workout and then I get the beautiful reward of a hot cup of coffee that I've made, just the way I like it. And then I'll do something for my mindset. So I've got you know some books kicking around in my living room. I'll just pick one up. I might read a few pages, a few chapters. Uh, if my daughter... Gets up early and sometimes she knows that daddy's doing him and will come in just when I'm on that final M. Instead of reading, if my daughter's there, uh, we'll do affirmations together. So we just sit there, hold hands, and we say, I'm happy, I'm calm, I'm stress free. I'm happy, I'm calm, I'm stress free. And we say these affirmations for about a minute. And then, you know, I feel like a million dollars at the end. She's got a big smile on her face. And that's what I try and do every morning. And on the days where I think I'm too busy, I think, ah, you know what, I can't do it today. Got to get onto the emails, got to do this. I always feel it later. I'm not as productive. I find my focus wandering. I'm a bit more snappy. So in terms of those three non-negotiables, I would say it's the three M's that I do every morning. And I, I would just want to say for people who think, I don't have half an hour in the morning. I've been using these three M's with patients for years. I want to remember the single mum who was really struggling with her skin, right? really bad skin, And I felt stress was really playing a big role and really driving a lot of it. I persuaded her to do a five minute morning routine. Five minutes. She did one minute of what's called the three, four, five breath. When you breathe in for three, hold for four, breathe out for five. She did two minutes of some of her favorite yoga moves. And she did two minutes of affirmations, right? So she did the three Ms in five minutes. Within weeks, her skin problems had gone down by about 50%. Right? And I've seen this over and over again. So What I'm saying is that even if you feel you're busy, I think a little practice first thing in the morning, even if it's just five minutes to ground you and center you will pay dividends for health, happiness, and high performance. Brilliant, love that. If
4: you could go back to one moment in your life, Rongan, when would it be and why?
1: I don't know why this is coming up at the moment, but I'd go back to March, 2013, when my dad died. And, um, I I was there with dad when he died. I was with him holding his uh, right hand. My mum was holding his left hand. And I literally got to witness and feel over the course of 10 hours, someone breathing, someone with a life in them, little by little until the life was no longer there. And, you know, I don't think I really understood how powerful that was in that moment. But it was incredible to to actually experience what is it to be alive? What does it feel like? There's still a a body there in front of me. Remember that the hour after dad died, my brother wasn't there. He came in a cab to the hospital and we were just sitting there, the three of us. Dad's lying on the bed. Dad's dead. But it was almost like an hour and a half of where it wasn't really happening. We were all chatting as if Dad was still alive. And why did that moment come up just now? I don't know. But in some ways, if I could go back there and really try and experience that with more presence, I think that's the moment i choose.
0: Yeah, thank okay. you for sharing that. Um, would there be one book or one podcast that you would recommend our listeners dive into that maybe was life-changing for you
1: Uh, there's so many great books and podcasts out there it's very hard to choose one but maybe because because i'm feeling emotional at the moment but the conversation i keep getting drawn to is edith eager the 93 year old lady who miraculously survived auschwitz and now has the most kindness compassion and spirit of forgiveness that i've ever come across She's got some great books, The Gift, The Choice, which I'd highly recommend. I have a very, very powerful conversation with her on my own show. We talk for about 90 minutes, probably one of the most life-changing conversations I've had. I think about the conversation every day, but she's been on, you know, many, any way you can watch Edith Eager speak, I don't think you'll be disappointed.
4: I think if I can jump in on that one, longer, and I, I remember listening to that and that. I also remember being really aware of your humility just to stand down and let her speak, didn't you? I thought it was really, I thought it was incredibly powerful. I'd, when
1: you, when you're around someone like that, it's like, what, what, what on earth have I possibly got to offer? You have got such wisdom. And, you know, if people struggle with letting go and forgiving people, I tell you, if Edith Eager can forgive in Auschwitz and what happened to her, I think most of us can probably forgive the things that we struggle with in our lives.
4: And the final question, what's your one golden rule to live a high performance life?
1: Be curious, be the learner. In every situation in life, it's not about being right or wrong. Once you let go of that need to be right, you will find a sense of peace and freedom on the other side. Always ask yourself, what can I learn here? I think for me, certainly something I try and do, It goes back to that idea of curiosity. Be curious, be the learner.
0: What a brilliant conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Damien. Jake. What stood out for you there?
4: I loved it. I loved uh, Rangan. I love his uh, podcast anyway, so I'm a listener. Uh, But there was that bit that really resonated where we spoke about zooming forward into the future and identifying that sense of purpose, the kind of person you want to be, and then coming back to the moment and asking, is what I'm doing now contributing and moving me in that direction? I just think that ability to sort of time travel and think about where we're going, but what we're doing at the moment and keep our feet planted in the moment we're in is really, really powerful. And I think all of us could use that.
0: And there's a lot there as well about challenging your current thinking. You know, I remember when um when I went up to Manchester to, to Rongan's house to go on his podcast, we were chatting afterwards and I was asking him whether he's you know, still working as a GP and doing other things. And he said that it's a you know, he thought long and hard about the decision. Where is his time best spent? And he said that actually he thinks that in twenty twenty-two the most effective and most impactful doctor he can be is a doctor that puts all of his time and energy into his Feel Better Live More podcast and into books like the one that we were just discussing with him today. And I think that that is really bright as well because, you know, society makes us think, well, you're you're a doctor, so you're having an impact or you do X job, so you're having an impact. I think it's always worth us, you know, regularly saying, is there a way that I could have more purpose? Is there a way I could have more impact? Is there a way that I could be living even closer to my values? And I think that he's done that. And I think that it's not a bad exercise for all of us every now and then, just to really ask ourselves whether we're doing the right thing.
4: Yeah, definitely. I I was thinking, it sounds a bit silly, but sometimes somebody will say to me, oh, wouldn't it be a better golfer? Or can you help me with my golf game? And the first question I always say is, well, how often do you practice? And they go, oh, I don't really. I just play and say, well, you're at the level you should be at then. You're as bad as you should be. Mm. Because... You're not investing any time in thinking about where you want to be as a golfer. You're just talking about where you are at the moment and hoping you get better. And I think that idea of occasionally just taking the time to think, well, where do I want to be? What's the standard I want to operate at? Whether that's in a your golf game or whether it's in life in general and then asking is what I'm doing today contributing and moving me in that direction, it gives us a sense of progress. It gives us a sense of purpose and creates our own momentum that gives us motivation to keep getting up and going again and again and again.
0: He spoke very movingly, didn't he as well about his family and his father. And I think, you know, this conversation was a really good reminder that we're not fixed, that we're constantly learning. We're constantly developing. And for that reason, we all need to be a little bit kinder to ourselves it's so easy to look back and think why didn't i i mean i do it all the time right Damien? I, mean, I think why why didn't i go to the gym when i was 18 when it would have been an awful lot easier to build loads of muscle why wasn't i one of the earlier doctors of instagram where i could have had a huge impact on people why didn't i understand the power of things 10 or 15 years ago and then i have to remind myself well the only reason i understand them now is because i've gone through this journey and i think that conversation with Rongen is very similar to that it's like we can't know everything today. We have to go on the journey, make the mistakes, learn the lessons. And only when you're looking back going, why didn't I do that? That's when we should be happy because that shows that we've progressed and we've improved and we've moved on.
4: Definitely. And then we can use that with that, that line that I said to Ron. <laughs> My wife uses it on me, but she got it from his podcast of, if I was you, I would have made the same decision. So at that moment in time, living the life you've lived with the experiences you've got, That's why you came to that conclusion. You did it because you thought that was the best decision at that moment. But like you say, when we open ourselves up to possibilities rather than probabilities, we develop our thinking, we learn from our experiences, and then we might make a different decision in a different moment.
0: Okay, time to meet another listener who enjoys high performance and who's been impacted in their own lives. This is a message from Kate, who says, I'm taking a big breath and putting my imposter syndrome aside for a second to write this. I've been a listener since the Chris Hoy episode, but I've never thought of myself as high performance. I work as cabin crew for a big corporate company where I'm very much a number and never really feel as if I can make a difference. But last June, I founded Women of Watford FC, the Premier League's first ever female supporters group, not just for the women's team, but a community of female Watford fans and allies who want football to be a safe and enjoyable space for women. We were born out of frustration around women's safety, a topic really close to my heart and that I'm very vocal about. Since the formation we've been featured on Football Focus and various other channels, I don't often allow myself to feel proud. I can usually find an excuse or a reason as to why something good happening wasn't anything to do with me. But wow, I'm learning to lead into this pride. Our inbox is full of so many people thankful for this group existing and we're thankful that Kate joins us now first of all Kate thank you very much for joining us um so you had to take a big breath and put your imposter syndrome aside did you to send that message
5: yeah I did a bit um I'm not used to having being the person who makes things happen I'm very much sort of more of a follower or at least I have been in the past Um and so sort of accepting that this group is something that I have done um has been has been a little bit alien to me I think
0: so do you feel High performance then, having listened to the podcast and listened to all the conversations where it's not about being a high achiever, it's about being a high performer. And there is a clear distinction between the two.
5: Yeah, I think so. And I think that's when I hear uh, from the ladies, uh, the women of Watford um, who have joined the group uh, and sort of just realising the impact that this group has had on them. And that wouldn't have happened uh, had had. This, this group not come about I suppose yeah.
4: So we often talk then Kate around finding your tribe finding people that lift you up so would you tell us a little bit about how the women of Watford have done that and how you are lifting each other up?
5: Yeah I think there's a really interesting conversation to be had around female friendship and um, I Growing up, I actually always felt pitied against other women. They were my competitors. I went to an all-girls school, which as much as it was supposed to be, you know, encouraging and friendly, actually, it was very competitive. Um, and then growing up throughout the noughties, reading magazines, it was who wore it better, this woman or this woman, or which beach body is worse? And uh, there was a really sort of, it was not a nice time to be a woman. And so having taken all that in, it's 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 just there, it's ingrained in your brain, Um, and so women became my competition and that's like that's not right and so it's actually only yeah sort of late 20s I'm in my early 30s now that I've really realized the power that there is to be had in female friendship and yeah again there's another interesting conversation there about the patriarchy and how they like the patriarchal society might like you to uh you being women sorry to sort of continue believing that and so yeah let's challenge that let's find your tribe and so having found this amazing group of women where we can sit around a table in the pub and talk about Watford FC we can talk about football without feeling patronized or even that we have to justify being there I think it's just it's it's so empowering I've I got goosebumps talking about that.
4: <laughs> I have too I think it's amazing so tell us how you founded it and how you've started to nurture it because you've been doing it now for nearly for coming up for a year so tell us a little bit around around that journey you've been on
5: yeah so the conversation I think really started um well just over a year ago where um Watford we were sort of in the deep dark depths of lockdown and Watford wanted to acknowledge International Women's Day but you can't really do a big thing when you're supposed to be two meters apart um so we were sort of just brought onto this online platform before one of the games was shown to talk about female fan experiences and I sort of I bang a women's safety drum quite quite often and uh, so I just said I don't go to away games by myself um, and probably wouldn't without a male companion and that I think was quite shocking for um certainly some men to hit and and some women as well. Uh, so that is sort of, so seed, I suppose. And then we had a really horrible week where um, uh, the Sarah Everard tragedy happened, and it prompted this conversation around women's safety. Um, and I just thought, I, I, I can't keep talking about this. You know, I'm thirty years old, and for 30 years of my life we've been talking about women's safety but also that this was happening before and why are we still talking about this I need to do something so got back in touch with the club and they have been I have to absolutely shout them out here they have been so supportive and we had all these ideas of things that we could do to make football safer for women but decided actually a starting point would be this this female supporters group um and not without really realizing it we're the first group of this kind in the Premier League, which I think is absolutely bananas and um, because to me, it just seems so obvious, yes, it's going to help with women's safety, but also again it's this it's this community of females talking about football and going to games together, which is just a, a really lovely side effect
0: <laughs> I love it and what can we do to have better conversations? about women and for women on the High Performance Podcast, do you think?
5: Yeah, I, oh, allyship, it, it's, so, it's so important. And male allies, I actually found myself, I was at a conference yesterday, the Women in Football Conference, and there was a, a breakout session on male allies. And actually, really, it's that's a phrase we shouldn't really be using. It's just about being a good human. Um, if we're talking in very binary terms, women are 50% of the population, and so give them... of your airtime give them 50% of of your life and uh, and not because women uh, you know are someone's wife someone's daughter someone says she is someone I think it was Lad Bible that put out a really great graphic and a couple of weeks ago on their on their socials she is someone and just like be a good human and (laughs) respect and and if you find yourself only listening to Male podcasts branch out a little bit. If you find yourself only reading books written by men, have a read of a, a Marianne Keyes novel. You know, just expand your, yeah, educate yourself rather than expecting women to educate you.
4: So you describe it in many ways there, Kate, around the importance of cognitive diversity, giving yourself different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the women of Watford, then, in terms of, tell us a little bit about the cognitive diversity about your tribe of these women that have come together to find this friendship group?
5: I think one of the really nice things about women in general is you can sit them around a table having never met before and they will just talk, (laughs) which is really, really nice. And actually uh, the the different backgrounds from people. So one of the really nice things is we have a lady who comes to away games with us who is a single mum and brings her autistic son with her. Um, And that's a big, big, big thing anyway. He's football mad, but um, couldn't really go to games before. Um, before, um, Watford had a sensory room, so he was going to games in the sensory rooms, gradually coming out to the stadium, and so for him to have made a massive step now to be able to come to away games is huge, and I think it's just since creating the group, I've really, really plugged how inclusive this group is. I say guys, gals, and non-binary pals. It's not not all just women. Um, Again, I'm going back to the phrase male allies, but you know it's a group for men too and um because one of our one of our aims is encouraging the future female fans of football and so actually if you want if you're a dad and you want to bring your girls to the game um but are maybe lads there's a quote the lads stay out isn't appropriate for them come along with us because not only that are you providing you know that safe space for Your girls to go to the football but also you're showing your girls that this is a place for them as well Um, and this isn't you know when you look around football stadiums predominantly it's men and but actually we're giving you a different narrative there
0: well look thank you so much for coming on sharing your story and i'm so so pleased that the high performance podcast has played a small role um in the incredible things that you've done you know it's a lovely thought for us that you know people are seeing the world in a different way because of what we've discussed and what you've heard and what you've then gone and acted on so all credit and power to you for doing that oh
5: no thank you guys very much and yeah keep doing what you're doing it's it's epic
0: oh what a lovely conversation with a, a lady who's clearly making a big difference in the world damien
4: i love that i think sometimes that i'm i don't want to sound too patronizing but as a father of of a daughter as I know you are Jake that I think sometimes it like we think we're doing the right thing we think that we've been an ally whereas sometimes it just brings us up short to ask can I be doing more can I be seeing the world from her perspective and I think that the answer to that is always yes so no it's really made me reflect it was fantastic
0: um, listen if you're at home and you're listening to this and you want even more from the High Performance Podcast then please check out the com, and then you can join the member circle there's some great bits and pieces actually Damien on the member circle this week I was on the train and I just went on there and I listened to some of the the keynote speeches and there's some fascinating insights into all sorts of different walks of life and I think that that's a key element, I guess, of high performance is what what we're not doing. We're not saying to people, listen to this way of thinking. This is how we believe you should think. Off you go. We're kind of saying, we'll put these conversations out there. We'll put these different approaches out there. And hopefully you will find something that you like among them. There might be things you disagree with as well, but we're not telling you what to think. That's a crucial story as part of this podcast, I think.
4: I mean, that's an old uh, truism of coaching that you don't tell somebody what to think. You just teach them how to think. And I think that's what the high performance circle does. It offers you just a variety of different stories and different ways and methods. And, you know, that's great if you do disagree with some of it, because it's making you think it's, it's causing a reaction in you that says, I don't agree with that. I think there's, a better, there's an alternative. What we're trying to do is I think there's no right or wrong to any of this. It's simply, does this help you or does it not? And if it helps you, great, embrace it. If it doesn't, move on from it. Find something else. Go and look for somewhere else to get ideas that can help you as well. There's plenty of it. And that's what the beauty of the circle offers. Love
0: it. Um, If you want to check it out, thehighperformancepodcast.com. Click on the circle. We'll send you an invite and you're in. Um, Damien, thank you very much as always.
4: Loved it, Jake. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks to Damien. Thanks to Arongan, of course. You can um, enjoy his new book right now. So check it out. Uh, We'll put a uh, link to the book in the description for this podcast. Thanks as well to Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio, to Will, to Gemma, to Hannah, to Eve, the whole High Performance team. But most of all, thanks to you. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So be your own biggest cheerleader and make World Class Basics your calling card. We'll see you next time. Oh, oh,